This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. You guys hear me talk about this all the time, and I absolutely love their product, so I want you to know about Duke Tig Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. If you need a notebook that is already pre-lined, that you can just jump right in, plan a training session, take notes during a match, Duke Tig Brand has got you covered. And guess what? They also have waterproof products. And if you work in the coaching world, you know how unpredictable the weather can be from week to week, match to match, training session to training session. They also have apparel too. So I can save you 10% today by going to checkout at duketigbrand.com and use the promo code BROADWATER19, B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9 at checkout. duketigbrand.com, plan to be great. Imagine for a moment here in the States that if you've been in the youth soccer or football environment, you know how much parental involvement there tends to be in even sometimes to the detriment of a young player or a team. Not to say all parents are bad, but we've probably seen the worst of the worst at different times. So imagine the opposite where parents or family members are basically not part of the picture. So in this episode of the On The Touchline podcast, Aaron Rodgers and I talked to Jake Smith. And Jake is near London, England, and talks about the environment that he works in at Royal Falcons FC. Jake's only 29 years old, but he has done an incredible amount of things in the game of football. From his youth playing days where he had trials at West Ham and Millwall and playing for a number of other clubs as well, to getting into coaching at Royal Falcons FC in that the community that he is trying to create is not only one that is about football and teaching players tactics and technical abilities and, you know, things of that nature, but it's actually about creating a safe space for them where they can go and not be subjected to some of the things maybe that are, that might be going on in their local communities. Really fascinating in this particular episode that if you love a really good human interest story, I think you're going to enjoy this one. As per usual, I included links in the show notes of how you can connect with Jake and also the um, club that he's working at, the Royal Falcons uh, FC. So before we get going with Jake, a reminder that this podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms. So whatever you prefer listening on, be sure that you subscribe to the show. And Aaron and I had the chance to meet this past week in person, and we have some really big things planned for 2020. So you want to be on the lookout for that. And by subscribing to the show, you'll never miss a new episode. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcast, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review about this show. And why that's important is that it helps more and more people when they go to search soccer or football podcast, that they're more likely to find the On the Touchline podcast. And this podcast exists not only to connect you to players, coaches, and influencers in the game, but to show you the human side of each of those audiences and the things that they go through in their everyday lives to make them into the coaches and players and influencers that they are. And of course, if you like the show or if there's something about the show that stands out to you, uh, you can reach out to Aaron and I at any time on Twitter or Instagram, and you can find me at SoccerCoachJB. You can find Aaron at OhioSoccerCoach, and I've included both of those in the show notes. All right, guys, enough of me. I'll get out of the way. Let's get into it with Jake Smith. 
Well, uh, Jake Smith, thank you for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And um, this has probably uh, been uh, building for a while, Jake, that have followed your work on uh, on soccer Twitter and uh, have enjoyed, you know, the content that you put out. And um, it's just funny how, you know, this podcast, I think, brings people together that in a lot of ways are like-minded, um, but mm-hmm. also to, um, you know, people that may look at the game even differently. And I think that's what's been fun about this podcast is to be just a, a platform and an avenue um, for us to share, you know, with the listening audience. Um, so Jake, tell uh, the folks listening just a little bit about your backstory and um, how you got into coaching and maybe what your youth football experience was like in, uh, in England. First of all, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy listening to your podcasts. Um, so as regards to my backstory, and how I got involved in football. Um, as regards to playing ages, I, I started not late, but I started playing football around eight and nine, opposed to children now starting at fours and fives and sixes. Um, and it, I was having a kickabout over the park with my father. And uh, we was approached by a gentleman who was uh, a manager at Royal Falcons, which is the club that I now coach for. And he asked if uh, I would be interested in coming over and training and playing for his team. Um, so that eventually kicked off. I went over, took part in a few sessions, got involved there, um, started playing Sunday league football. Um, played that for a year, a year above myself. Um, the team was actually a year year older than me. Um, enjoyed that. Um, And then at the end of that season, um, the manager actually, for personal reasons, actually stepped down. Um, And what happened was my father then took on the role as manager. Um, So in the long run, I've got a lot to thank for my father, do you know what I mean? As regards to my playing career and for my coaching career. so going through going through the years playing for uh, my dad, um, a lot of my friends from the local area ended up coming and joining the team, um, and he slowly built us into a uh, a strong, unified, talented group of players. Do you know what I mean? And um, eventually, I ended up getting um, picked up by well, West Ham. Um, I ended up playing for them for about just under a year. Uh, for one reason or another, they ended up releasing me. Um, then I went back to Royal Falcons, continued playing with my friends. Um, and then I actually got picked up again and actually went and played for Millwall for a little while. Um, which, looking at it, is quite rivalry-like. <laughs> um then again got released and, and came back to Royal Falcons and sort of by the, by that time I was 13, 14. Um, we'd won the league a couple times for Falcons. Uh, we won the London Cup, which is a tournament where all the teams within inside London um, are entered into. So basically the best of London sort of thing. We actually ended up going on to winning that. I think that was at under-15s. Um, and we, we, we went through all the way to under 18 and then for one reason or another people started to go work or found other different things that they was interested in um, so the team sort of disbanded um, I went on to play for our adult team at the time um, I played for them for two years and then I decided that I'd had enough in that sense because my passion and my outlook on the game was different to these men's outlook and their passion. Things were just different. Um, so then in turn, I actually, before I started actually getting involved in coaching, I actually started getting involved in refereeing. Uh, I started helping out with the youth matches for the club, um, earning a little bit of pocket money on the side. Um, by then, my father had... Um, Started with a new team, uh, started again with, um, I think there was under eights at the time, um, to which I started helping out, just going along to sessions, holding little drills here and there. Um, 
and then things sort of really took off and I found I found a really motivated drive to want to help the local kids in the club and the local kids in the area. By then I was 18, 19. I'd done my level one uh, back in 2009. Um, then took that on board, ran with it for a little while. Um, then ended up doing my level two in 2014. Um, but prior, prior, pretty much before we started the development schools, which was about 12 years ago now, um, we, was, we, we would just hold trials. And we noticed that there was a lot of kids that were losing out on the opportunities to play in the local area simply because of the pick and choose basis of we will, we want you, but we don't want you sort of thing. And as a club, we pride ourselves on being there for the local community. Um, it's a close-knit family sort of run organisation. And we decided, well, well, why not just get rid of the trials? Let's accept everyone into our club. Uh, we might not be able to give everyone a competitive chance to play at this moment in time. Um, however, we can put them into the development groups where we're giving them a uh, safe environment to come and learn, have fun and uh, hone their skills as, as, as a football or soccer player. Do you know what I mean? And from there, it started to actually feed the competitive team groups of the club sort of thing. So I then took on the responsibility of running the development groups, um, which is, I still do it to this day. Um, I love it. Saturday mornings, I really enjoy it. Uh, so we have two, three, three development groups. We have our five to sevens. Um, our eights to tens and then our tens, uh, our elevens to fourteen, um, and every year I'm tasked with the responsibility of picking a select handful of uh, six-year-olds to go into our competitive teams at under seven. Um, throughout the year, players leave for whatever reasons. And the managers are capable of coming over and selecting boys to, to come out of the development groups and join into their team. So there is a constant pathway and there is a constant flow of boys coming in and out of the club. Do you know what I mean? Um, but as regards to my background, that's pretty much it. What was it like, um, not only, you know, playing for your dad, I mean, it, it's, it's a really cool moment, um, and it's a really, just a, I mean, you know, sport has a way of bringing people together, and it can it be does. tough, right? It's not always, um, you know, my son and I talk about this a lot. It's not always, you know, happy and fun, and, um, you know, we're all, and everybody's not always smiling, but at the end of the day, the love of the sport is usually what wins out. And I just wonder what that was like for you um, growing up, and... To be honest, the, the pros outweigh the cons. And it'll probably kick my butt for saying this. But growing up, it was difficult being the manager's son. Um, I found that he was the hardest on myself opposed to the other boys in the team. Um, maybe looking back on it, that was his passion for me wanting to do well. Um, I shared more. I've shared more positive memories in sport and in football with my father than I ever have done negative. Um, but there has been times where it's been difficult going home after a poor performance or going home after a loss. It's di Looking at it now as a father, it's difficult to switch from being a coach to being back to dad. Do you know what I mean? And um, at the same time, he was learning. He was developing himself as a coach. Do you know what I mean? And I've got nothing but respect and ab admiration for what my father's done over the years for myself and for the boys in my local community, <clears throat> to which some of them are considered as family. Like I said, um, we disbanded. My actual team that my father ran disbanded when we was under 18s. 
um, and I'm now 29. So 11 years ago, and a lot of those lads I still talk to. I know their families, I know their children, and it's still that same family feeling every time we, we meet up and we speak and things like that. So looking at it in hindsight, it was more than just football. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's helped create everlasting relationships. Um, so, yeah, in turn, I think, I think the, pro, the pros outweigh the cons. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So what were you like as a player, Jake, in having opportunities to, um, you know, to, to play at West Ham a little bit, to, I think you mentioned Millwall, um, you know, clubs that um, are known, right, or have a, a bit of a history and a, a pedigree. What was it like with those experiences? And, um, you know, were, did you feel pressure? Did you feel that every you know, move that you made was sort of being analyzed, scrutinized. Um, I wonder what that's like. And I don't even know if, you know, there is a comparison here in the States, you know, maybe with some of the, the MLS clubs that have development academies or some of the other development academies. Um, but I wonder what that was like for you. Uh, in comparison to being in my Sunday club environment, it was a pressured environment. Uh, you feel Looking back on it, I felt as if you have to perform opposed to just going in and enjoying yourself. Um, However, I sort of thrived off that environment. Um, I've always been a player that wanted to improve. Um, I've always found pleasure in improving and and getting better. Um, So... I think, especially once I I left both academies and come back to my Sunday league team, I was a lot sharper than a lot of my players in my team. My my overall game, my understanding of the game was a lot better than a lot of my players in my team. And looking at the boys that we have currently had go away to academies and come back and playing for our teams, they stand out like a sore thumb. Do you know what I mean? So, like like the good old saying, pressure creates diamonds sort of thing. And I believe in, in, in one sense, those pressured environments, you do get the best out of people. Do you know what I mean? Learning to adapt and, and to de- deal with high-pressured environments will only make you a better person if you take it on board and, and run with it, opposed to fighting it and shying away from the situation do you know what i mean yeah uh aaron bring you into this uh conversation so as a player though when you when you were playing where what did you like about your game and what did you thrive on i really thrived off of playmaking of course everyone enjoys scoring goals and things like that but i really took a sense of enjoyment out of being the creator. Um, I normally played on the left wing, um, getting down the wing, whipping balls in, putting balls over the top, things things like that. Um, but I really enjoyed <clears throat> just, just creating, uh, giving my strikers the best service possible. That was something that I really, really enjoyed doing. Um, I think... Growing up, I had a a really good vision and a great way of reading the game. And I tended to to see things before they happen sort of thing. I think looking back on it, my my awareness for my surroundings was a little bit better than some of the boys that I actually played against. Um, So... So yeah, that's something that I really thrived off of creating for other players. So you take some of that mentality into your coaching now? Is that kind of how you you maybe design your team or set up your team or create sessions because of how you see the game, how you like it? Obviously, we're always evolving as a coach and you probably took a lot from your dad, as you said. You probably took a lot from being at Millwall and and West Ham and then coming back and then now creating your own identity as a coach? I'm a big advocate of creating decision makers. 
Um, as you know yourself, the game of football is is a game of information. It's it's a game of of pictures that are constantly changing, and what what is in front of you one second might change from the next. So, especially in my coaching, I'm a big advocate of creating environments where the players have to solve problems, <clears throat> whether it be rondos. I love I love myself a rondo. Um, I love small-sided games. Um, anything where players have to work out the solutions for themselves, I'm a really big advocate for. Um, so I try to install that in all my sessions. Um, I think with a little bit of organised chaos as well, um, the kids really seem to enjoy that and, and take to that, do you know what I mean? So out of all of it, I think that would be my biggest um, value as per se. I, I try to enable my players to be free thinkers and uh, good decision makers, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, you, you mentioned rondos, and I think in the, in the U.S., and I'm not sure what it's like over there in the U.K., but there's there's kind of a mixed feeling sometimes in the, in the U.S. about rondos. Some people are like, oh, no, don't do rondos. It, you know, it's not directional, or and obviously um, you, can, you can create rondos in different ways, but and others are like, no, it, it creates better players for decision-making and for technical, tactical. What, what are, what, is it like that over there in the U.K.? What not so much. No, I think I think in the UK, we're we're pretty mu pretty much open minded in that sense. I think the only <clears throat> the only big thing that people would tell you is to stay away from line drills. Yeah, where players are waiting in lines and they're not being challenged in any way, shape, or form. Uh, their attention span can just wander off and things like that. Um, I like creating an environment where the kids are constantly focused not because I want them to be focused because they want to be focused because they're enjoying the game or the situation or the scenario that they're playing in. Um, I love myself a bit of Johan Cruyff. Um, and one of his quotes was, uh, everything you need to learn about the game of football is involved in a rondo from anticipation to reading it to manipulating the defending players in the in the middle, uh, to your ball control. Apart from shooting, which of course you can adapt and, and pull into a rondo, mm -hmm. um, everything that you need to learn is involved in that simple, simple um, game. I find it um, incredibly interesting that there are, you know, there's there's really no one um, magic bullet or one way to develop a player, right? In terms of getting the most out of them. And I've been in environments where, you know, we're doing things related to like Corver training where, I mean, it is literally a kid in a ball between some cones and they're just doing nothing but foot skills and footwork and, and things like that. And that works. Um, you know, it, I can speak, I guess, generally here in the States that that I think works for a lot of kids here just mm. because they're not playing, you know, in a park or playing pickup with friends or whatever, as much as we probably would want them to do. I've also been in environments where, you know, things like a Rondo are used really as um, that tool to teach everything, right? They're mm. teaching passing, they're teaching anticipation, they're teaching technique. Um, you know, it's sort of a, a way of kind of bringing it all together it's been really interesting to see that um, and I think really fascinating. And so we're, we're pro Rondo on this podcast, <laughs> um, but um, describe in, I guess your experience, Jake, what, you know, developing a player, what, what have you seen works? What doesn't work? Um, you know, what has that been like for you, not only in your own development, but now the players that you're coaching? I think off the bat, I think there's a time and a place for everything. Um, as I said, growing up, my father was a, a disciplined coach. He was very sergeant-like, as per se. Um, and we did do line drills. Um, but obviously, his, his development went on and our, our training changed. Um, 
something that I, I, I really agreed with with your last podcast with Taylor. Um, a ball and a wall. Do you know what I mean? That was a big development, part of my development as a young kid. And that's something I still encourage the boys to do. Um, learning how to just pass back and forth inside of the foot, outside of the foot, bouncing the ball off the wall, seeing how the ball bounces, taking on those visual information and adapting to it. Do you know what I mean? So we can go from really basic drills to cone drills, which I think honestly are, are good. Do you know what I mean? I, I still get my boys to do uh, in and outs of cones, slaloms, things like that. Um, but again, I think there's there's times and places for it. Um, I think as their development goes on, it's down to the coach to sort of challenge and keep challenging so that the, the development never stagnates and, and just sort of plateaus, do you know what I mean? Um, so I'm a big advocate of, I would never criticise anyone's coaching. What works for one person might work for a hundred, but then it might not work for one. Do you know what I mean? So it's learning. I guess it's learning your players and what works best for them. In terms of, um, you know, the, the football environment in England looks dramatically different than here in the States, right? And I've, I've joked actually with uh, friends of mine from England that I feel like I grew up in the wrong country <laughs> um, just because, you know, there's a, a really significant appetite and hunger for the game and you know uh, kids are playing the game I mean you mentioned the story of your dad you know you guys in a park and you happen to get noticed by somebody um, this the idea of just going out and playing is a I think a real barrier and a real challenge for a lot of kids here in the states and it might be easier maybe in a more urban environment um, but you know, for where I live, it, it's certainly rural. Um, there's a, a high level of parental, um, you know, influence these days where yeah. they just don't seem to want to let their kids just sort of go. Um, you know, probably what we experienced growing up where we could just go with some friends and, and play. So I, I wonder if, you know, if a kid is getting uh, a few hours of training in, in a structured environment every week, is there a way or how do you get them to, you know, love a football and love everything about the sport in terms of, you know, picking a club to follow, maybe finding a favorite player. Um, you know, like even you mentioned the, the idea of a, a wall and, you know, just trying different things with it, right. And failing, but trying stuff, left foot, right foot, stuff in the air, stuff on the ground, um, working on turns, working on passing, receiving, you know, all those things, these really small details that, you know, someone might look at and go, well, why is that significant? It's a call, you know, for me, a match is a culmination of small details. Mm. And it's all these things building upon each other and kind of amplifying each other to, you know, to put a product on the field that is, um, you know, people can be proud of or, or whatever. And I wonder what that's like for you um, in England and does it differ maybe than what we experience here in the States? So off the bat, I think at times I wish there would be a little bit more parental support uh, over here in the sense of we have kids turning up to games and turning up to training and we never see parents. So off straight away, it's the child that wants to play. It's the child that's going out of his way or her way to play the football, um, opposed to the parent sort of living their dreams or or pressing that child to play, do you know what I mean? Um, I, would, I would love to have the financial support that some of these American clubs have over here. Um, my club is a self funded and self-reliant club. We have to do everything ourselves. Uh, we have spent many, many moons trying to attract sponsorships and things like that. Um, however, we just don't seem to get it for one reason or another. Um, obviously now, especially like with the Football Foundation and things like that, making grants available, it's become a little bit easier to secure financial support and things like that. 
Um, but in in our areas, I would say I come from a borough called Newham, which is a very poverty-stricken borough. Um, the kids, the parents, as per se, a lot of the a lot of the kids that we have today are come from single parent backgrounds. Their their parents haven't got the financial aid to be giving their childrens hundreds and hundreds of pounds a year, and just to play the game that they they love. Do you know what I mean? So, opposed to I've seen some of the rates that that some of these clubs in America charge, and I think it's unbelievable how parents are willing to pay these amounts but I guess that is how the climate has gone do you know what I mean um, but when you break it down to the children want to be there they want to have fun and we give them the environment where they can have fun and I think that is the biggest factor in it all allow the kid to be in an environment where they have fun with their friends and the rest to take care of itself. I think even for adults, if you're not enjoying something, you will sooner or later pull out of it. Do you know what I mean? And I think there's a little less pressure for children to perform in the UK opposed to maybe America. I don't really want to say that and hit the nail on the head sort of thing, but that's just my personal opinion of the situation. Um, growing up, we used to play 20 aside, kids on the street, you know what I mean? And we used to play that until it's pitch black out and there's nothing more than I really miss those days. But looking at the culture and the climate now, especially with a lot of gang-related issues that we have in the local area and young men, young teenagers are dying, I can understand why they're why the parents don't really want to let their children out to play and things like that. So, yeah, cut a long story short, I just I just think that the kids from from here have got a little bit more passion to want to do it for themselves, opposed to wanting to please mum and dad. Do you feel like you said you mentioned you playing 20 aside when you were a kid. That's awesome because you get one ball and you got 40 kids out there just <laughs> running around. And that's, that's awesome. But, so do you feel like in relation to what you just kind of said, is it still the same now for, for the kids in your area? Or is it, do they still go out to the park and just, or the road and put, put a cup of, you know, put the, put, have two cars and in between the cars is the goal or, or put two rubbish bins out or, it's not <clears throat> not so much now, uh, simply because of all. We've recently, over the last couple of years, we've had a lot of young teenagers dying uh, for one reason or another, um, and obviously that affects the way parents think. I wouldn't like like my daughter's only two, but I, I I really wouldn't want my daughter playing over the local park where the local lads who are up to no good are sitting over there and, and doing nothing, do you know what I mean? I wouldn't want her in that environment. So I can understand the need for parents to want to structure the environment that their kids are playing in. Um, however, I think that there's a, there's a big loss there, do you know what I mean? But it's the environment that is being created outdoors with the world rather than the kids itself, do you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I think a lot is lost in that sense. Um, I, feel like I love street football and if you look at all the, all the, the cities around the world um, some of the most deprived cities in the world have produced the best players in the world especially like if you're looking at Brazil and places like that um, and this is where children can honestly own their skills in a free play environment do you know what I mean they learn through their mistakes and I think even as coaches, I think we learn more when we have a, a bad game or we learn more when we have a loss or, or something hasn't worked or we hasn't, something hasn't transferred from the training game over to the match day. I think we learn more through our mistakes than we ever do through our wins. Um, but going back to the environment, I just think it's, it's, it's becoming a scary world out there, you know? 
it's, it's awesome that, that you, you talk about creating those development, uh, the development part of the club and the safe spaces. Cause I, I've heard you mention that word safe spaces a few times. It's on, it's on your Twitter and on your, your, your club's website. And evidently that's very important to you as an individual and, and to, and it's necessary to get it those, is. to get those young people out to, uh, to participate um, in the club for sure. That's good. Good on you there. Thank you very much. It's something that um, I hold close to my heart. Um, I've lost friends through gang violence and things like that. And know that many people around the world have, have lost close friends due to one thing or another. Um, however, I, I'm a firm believer of giving children an environment. It doesn't have to be football but giving children an environment where they can stay off the streets, where they can focus on something else rather than just sitting around doing nothing, which can in turn lead on to negative things and negative lifestyle choices. Do you know what I mean? What, what's the, who's the, who's the biggest player that's ever come out of your area? Professional footballer. Uh, so, do you know Mark Noble that plays for West Ham? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So Mark, Mark was a local lad. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, he came out of um, custom aspect, and um, so he knows exactly what it's like to sort of come from humble beginnings and know what it's like to live in a a not deprived area, but a hard area mm-hmm. uh, where life can be difficult for for many people. Do you know what I mean? Um, and again, that's our captain of my football club. Yeah, and he leads the team very well on a, on a, on a weekly basis. Do you know what I mean? Never shies away from a tackle. Never. <laughs> Class player there. That, Where's his art on his sleeve? Absolutely. No, that's good. He's been there for, gosh, has he played, did he play in the youth academy and everything coming up through West Ham? Yes. Yeah. So I think, I think growing up, he went all the way through, um, yeah. from academy to, to under 18s, under 19s, 21s. And then into the first team. I I ask that question because I I wonder. You know, do you see do you see players really in your area kind of gravitating towards football to to maybe keep them on the on the safe streets and keep them safe or keep them out of trouble potentially to to go on and play and further their life through football at some in some ways or do they just enjoy it to play? I think it's more of it. It's an enjoyment just to play. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of my friends, a lot of people that I've played against, personally, have been some very very good technical players, um, but they've just never had that support or that backing or that that guidance um, to stay disciplined. Um, and I think you find a lot of players end up dropping off around the 18, 19 age range because their friends are doing other things and there's exterior influences and sooner or later the attraction of, of, of money or the attraction of other things becomes too too excitable to think, do you know what, I'm not getting up on a Sunday morning in the, in the cold rain and going to play football, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Jake, what makes a, um, a a good coach or a good manager in uh, in your experience? Uh, I think I think there's a vast a vast amount of things that can make a good coach or a good manager. I think seeing your players as 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 people first of all goes a very long way, um, especially from my philosophy especially from my outlook on football I try to install <clears throat> core values into my players that they can take away after the game of football is finished so I'm looking at respect honesty empathy and hard work you know what I mean I think those four core values you can take through life and be a decent human being and I think if you can lead a group of children into young men who then go on to 
be successful in whatever field of profession that they choose to be and you deter them away from the negatives in life, I think that makes a really good coach, um, especially in my environment. Do you feel that, um, so I, I've seen it probably both ways where I, I've seen managers or coaches not directly talk about all those things you mentioned, right? About integrity and honesty and, you know, trying to be a decent human being. But I've also seen um, managers and coaches that I've been around that have been very direct by actually using those words when talking to their team. And it could be individually um, where, you know, uh, might be geared to maybe an older player, you know, maybe a U12 or above where you can pull them aside and have more of a heart to heart conversation. You know, don't know if some of the younger um, players are quite ready for that. Mm. Uh, you know, or, uh, I, I, you know, it, every environment is different. And sometimes it can be addressed in a team environment where you notice that team dynamic might need changed or tweaked or whatever. And I'm curious, are you more, I guess, direct in your language when it comes to saying, hey, yes, this is about football, but it's also about life. And it's about using sport as a you know, as a mechanism, as a vessel where, you know, we learn about life and, you know, at some point your footballing career is probably going to come to an end, um, you know, young lad. Um, so you have to get up and you have to go to work and you have yeah. to, and maybe you start a family or maybe you have responsibilities or, or whatever to take care of a, an elderly parent or a sick parent or whatever. I think learning those things through sport is incredibly powerful it's been, you know, uh, talk about this with people all the time for me. I mean, you know, on those days where I'm struggling, I mean, it is why I pushed through because mm -hmm. I was in an environment where I had to push through, you know, a sporting environment. I had to push through. I, I didn't want to mentally. I was tired and physically I was hurting or whatever, but I pushed through and I kept going. I didn't quit. And I wonder what that's like for you. Do you, you know, are you more direct? Is it more indirect um, in terms of how you cover those topics? So I'm mainly, mainly seeing it now, especially with my group of boys who are under 12s. So they're 11, 12 year old boys and they're becoming a little bit more understanding of what the world is actually like. Um, and I always start my sessions off by asking how their day at school has been and, and talking about things that are outside of football, do you know what I mean? And a lot of them are finding themselves in trouble in school with their teachers. Um, a lot of them are talking to me about fights and and we had one instance the, the other week where um, a local lad of, I believe it was 13, 14, ended up getting stabbed and killed. And it really affected the boys. And I, for the first time, I've actually, I actually took on board that they're at an age now where they're starting to be aware of the big bad world sort of thing. So with, with them, I tend to be a little bit more direct. I tend to show that I care about them as people more so than what I do with, say, the under 10s who are still sheltered by their parents. Um, with the under 10s, I take more of a less approach. I, I talk more about ethics rather than ethics for each other, rather than for the for life after football. Do you know what I mean? Work hard for your teammates. Be strong for your teammates. Do you know what I mean? Respect your teammates. Respect your opponents. Um, opposed to how I talk to my under 12s. And I might pull one aside and, and as per se, give them a sort of stern talking to about what life could actually be like if they decide to continue with this group of boys in school who is getting him in trouble as per se, or continue to, to misbehave uh, in their parents' environment. I'm always, I'm always preaching to them that education comes before football. Um, I've, I've had a lot of friends that have put their heart and soul into football and it's not paid off and they've not had anything to fall back on, um, which in turn 
they've found themselves taking the easy route and getting up to no good. And a lot of them have ended up in prison. Um, so I, I would like to say I'm a caring coach. I'd like to, to think that if I could keep some of them out of trouble and, and keep them on the right path, then I'm doing well as a coach. But then I think the, co the word coach is, is a very simple word. I think we're more friends, role models, mentors. And even on a Saturday morning when parents are late, babysitters, you know what I mean? So I think it changes to suit the age range that you're working with. So I'd, I'd, I'd go and say that I'm more direct with the older lads than I am with the younger boys, you know? I, I can completely relate, and I think Aaron can, can uh, relate to that as well. That, um, yeah, I mean, it's tailoring your message to the the audience that you have. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it, everything you just said, Jake, is a hundred percent. You know, the experience I've had that there's times where you have to put the pedal down and you have to push a player, um, you know, to to be better than what they're showing, and you know that they can be better than what they're showing, yeah. and that. Um, you know, there, there have been times, I mean, I, I think back to um, this past uh, season, you know, working with my high school group that, you know, there was one time I was very direct with a player because I knew he, he was one of our better players. And, you know, his immediate reaction was he did not like what I said. And, you know, we, we talked about it. We had a good chat afterwards and we were able to sort of clear things, you know, cl clear things up pretty quickly. But I told him the reason I said that to you is because I've seen you do better and I know you can do better and you're a leader on this team. So hold yourself to that standard and hold yourself, you know, hold yourself accountable. And when you don't hold yourself accountable, it's my role in, you know, the coaching staff's role to hold you to that level that we think you can be at. So, and I know Aaron has got stories for days probably about, um, you know, that accountability aspect or, uh, you know, just this, when, when people say you're a coach, you know, they think that it's X's and O's, right? And they mm -hmm. think that we can draw up a, a you know, a, a four three three or a four four two, and you know how to attack or how to defend or how we're going to counter or whatever we're going to do. It is so much more than just what actually. I mean, actually, I would say a small percentage of what we do is actually what happens on the pitch. It is. It's everything it is. else, you know. Without that. Um, Jake, what is, what is this? I, you you mentioned mentoring, and I and I thought that was it's. I love what you. I love your your kind of philosophical approach to what you do, and I mean you're obviously working in a different environment than than we are, and I mean we're you're so urban there, and I mean you've got such a population density of where you are that makes things different, and you, you talked about mentoring. What what do you? This I just see on your Twitter that you you took a part in the the developing coaches through mentoring course the FA. Yep. How, what was that all about? So that was basically um, giving myself a better understanding on how to help uh, my coaches within my club. Gotcha. Um, over the last couple of years, I've took on more responsibility. Um, my father is the head coach of our club, um, and I'm the lead development officer. So. My role is now to help the coaches coming through the club, how to uh, coach better, how to tailor their sessions better to their to their uh, players, um, how to give them the vocabularies to to help each other, um, and to to simply just to support and aid in any any questions or any help that that one might need. You know what I mean? And I thought that it would be a good thing for me to take myself onto that course uh, to gain a better understanding of how I could help others more. Um, I've always felt comfortable in helping kids, um, but I wanted to gain a better understanding of how I could go about and help adults and, and young adults, um, some to which are, are, are double my age, do you know what I mean? And they still... Uh, ask me questions on or my opinions um, and of course I always I always give them my honesty um, but I also tell them that it's, it's, it's down to them 
it, it doesn't really matter what I say too much. At the end of the day, it's it's your team or it's your outlook that that matters. Um, I'm just providing a an outlook at the end of the day to possibly help in your decision making. You know, one of the things I've, I I love and it and it goes back to kind of the way we see things as it relates to to person first and you talked about that that it's it's not just about the football it's about the person it's about that individual and and as you translate that to the group you have to take into that take that into account and I love I love the one tweet that you talks about um, adapt topic adapt topics to keep things inventive and exciting and, mm. and to actually listen to your players lives and thoughts and mm. that one resonated with me as well I mean um, it goes to showing that it's a different world now when we're training teams, when we're, when we're mentoring these young people or even um, adult people in the university game like that I work in, they need that ownership. And mm. even at the, U, at the younger levels, the youth levels that you're working in, is, is that how you, has, is that how, have you evolved into that or have you always been that way? No, without a doubt. Um... Growing up, we was told, this is how you're going to do something. Do it how we're asking you to do it. And in my earlier years of coaching, that is how I followed suit sort of thing. Um, and it's only through the FA courses that I've been on and observing other coaches and reading different books and learning and just gaining a greater understanding um, have I developed this this passion to allow the players to take ownership over their own learning. Um, yes, there still is structured learning. Um, the environments are structured. However, I listen to their needs more so than my own. Um, I don't really care about the results as per se. Um, I would rather have a great performance than win 10-0 with a bad performance. Um, Sunday just gone, we won 2-0, but we was we was awful. We didn't transfer anything from training. Any Everything that they had worked hard on just sort of went out the window and the performance was, was poor. Um, however, they, they was aware of that and they was disappointed, um, which is something I'm actually working on myself is to not allow my emotions to be so result-based centred. Um, but I think in, in, in tune, I think you're, you're aiding in person development when you're allowing them to take ownership over their game. Um, I'm a big believer in allowing my players to call each other out. Um, however, the, the, it has got to be constructive. Um, we introduced it about two seasons ago uh, where half-time and at full-times we allow each other to call a player out and say, right, we didn't like what you did there. We, you had options available over here, as per se. And it needs to be constructive. If, if I feel for one second that the player is getting on another player's case, I'll be quick to tell that player, well, but you did this. Do you know what I mean? I would never allow it to be one way. Um, however, I think it will aid in their, in their life development to be able to take criticism and to give an alternative form of that criticism and adapt to it and see a different outlook on, on what could have happened or what should have happened. You know what I mean? But again, they're all learning experiences. It's amazing because, you know, the, I, I try to take this approach to all the time. And you talk about it, you're creating an environment that's going to pay off in life. And, and I, and I tell our players all the time, our commonality is soccer. We're here because mm. of soccer. You know, mm. we're talking to you today because of soccer, yeah. but it, or football, but it's how we treat each other. It's how we interact with each other. It's how we work together in times of stress, in times of good times. And that's going to parlay into life. And when you've finished with soccer, for, for our players here at the university level, when they're 22 years old, if they don't continue to play, everything that they gain through soccer is going to 
help them in every aspect of their life. And so for, for your young people, when they finish with you all at 18, if that's what they choose to do, and they go on and, and, and do whatever they do, every, you know, hopefully our goal is, and it sounds like you're doing a fantastic job of that, is to have all their character built through your, well, with addition to their parents and, yeah. and family and friends, but through this commonality of soccer. And, and uh, it, it, I love it. It's fantastic. I think that's why creating a culture is so important. Um, I think the culture continues and lives on longer after football or the game of football ever does. I think those traits within the culture lives on. Um, even down to like our Saturday sessions with the four and five-year-olds, our under-12 boys are, are training at the same time. And I make a, make um, an important note to the boys to get them to go over and to to introduce themselves and to high-five the four and five-year-olds and to have a little kick about with them before training training starts. Do you know what I mean? Because essentially, they are role models to these four or five-year-olds. Do you know what I mean? Maybe the four and five-year-olds don't see it as that at this moment in time. They just see them as big kids. But I know if I had that growing up in that sense uh, where the boys in my club come over to, to the younger sessions, it would have been a lot better in the long run. Do you know what I mean? And I know for certain that I used to look at the older boys in the club and think to myself, oh, I can't wait to be like them sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? But I think the culture aspect of it, it lasts longer than the, ever, than the game of football ever does. Absolutely. So, Jake, if, uh, if people want to follow along with you on social media and connect with what you're doing, um, how can they do that? So, my Twitter handle is, is, is crazy, Jason. <laughs> when I created my Twitter handle, it was, it was one of these Twitters that has been given a load of numbers after it. Um, so just, just search me Jake Smith and find the picture of me as a coach wearing me, me Royal Falcons gear. You'll soon find me. Some Joma gear too, eh? Yeah, yeah. So we, we made the transfer. Well, we made the transition from Nike to Joma this season. Uh, our, our match kits and our training kits for the boys are still um, Nike. Which is which is of, of a quality standard. Um, however, the training the the, the coaches uh, wear Joma, and that's simply because we was trying to keep cost effective. Do you know what I mean? And to be to be quite honest, this is it's quality gear. It hasn't. I wear my 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 training kit three to four times a week, and uh, it's held up so far. So, shout out Joma. <laughs> there you go. You can see that Aaron and I got the memo. Apparently, we were supposed to wear black Adidas gear today. So, <laughs> with the three stripes down the shoulders and the arms, I. <laughs> uh, I mean, talk about uh, two guys that um, you know separated at birth or something. You know, uh, so you got the long <laughs> sleeve. I see. I got the short sleeve. So uh, I couldn't see you. Yeah, long sleeve. <laughs> well, Jake, thank uh, you so much for uh, for coming on the show and really enjoyed. Thank it. you very much. Um, if uh, if our travels ever bring us to London, you be, be sure we'll we'll definitely hit you up. And if your travels ever bring that. To States, um, definitely we'd love to catch up in person. So, no, thank you. Pleasure's all mine. Like yeah. I said, I've I've really enjoyed the podcast over the first season, second season. It's just a privilege to come on and talk to you guys and share my opinions and my views. So, thank you very much. A massive thank you and shout out to Jake Smith for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. Jake, Aaron and I loved learning about your backstory and how you've gotten to where you're currently at in your coaching journey. So all the best to you and hope that someday in the near future, we all have a chance to meet in person. I mentioned in a previous episode that we would be interested in doing a show around listener questions. And you can tag Aaron and I on social media at any time. We're highly active on Twitter and Instagram, 
And you can find us uh, or find me at Soccer Coach JB, and you can find Aaron at Ohio Soccer Coach. We would love for you to send us your questions, and we will do a Q&A episode here coming up soon, probably in early 2020. All right, before we go, make sure that you support our partner, DukeTigBrand.com. Great holiday gift for that soccer coach in your life. Guys, you'll get a new episode next Wednesday. And thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. I am your host, Jason Broadwater. And until next time.